Please stand with me. We're going to read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. The Bible promises that wherever the word of God increases, disciples multiply. Your discipleship, your relationship with the Lord Jesus as the true king will multiply in your heart when God's word increases in your heart. And so this is our prayer today that this word in Genesis chapter 11 would multiply our love and trust in the Lord Jesus. Genesis 11 verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. You may be seated. If you're competing in a beauty pageant, there's one answer you need to be ready to give. World peace. You know what the judges want. These judges who are representing all the world, they know what all the world is laboring for and what we have not yet found, and that is world peace. If you want any shot at that crown, you better say something about bringing people together, about overcoming our differences, about putting down prejudices, about ending wars. And what could be wrong with that? I mean, there's this idea, and John Lennon saying about it, all would be right if we all just got along. And in churches, this is, this is something that we prize as a church, unity, peace. Christians have unity as a high value. As we come to Genesis 11... We're faced with a question, how good is unity? Really, is unity, peace in the world, God's highest good? And Genesis 11 says no. That world peace is too costly. 
what I want us to see this morning is in this beautiful chapter. It is a, it is a severe chapter. I mean, the, all the other passages we've walked through, we've, we've had this mix of, of God's judgment along with an ark, along with a rainbow, along with these covenant promises. We don't see that in Genesis 11, 1 through 9. We'll have to wait for that in our next passage. And yet, the Lord has made this beautiful passage. And what I want you to see is how he built the words. So there is a tower of words. Kayla, would you show us the tower of words that the Lord built in Genesis 11? This is all intentional. The, the, the chapter itself or the passage itself looks like a tower in order to make fun of the people in the tower that they built. You'll see at the beginning of the passage at the bottom there, the whole earth has one language. And then at the end, God confuses their language. And then we have the repetition of the word there in verse 2. And then from there in verse 8, they said to one another something in verse 3. And God says, well, you're not going to understand one another when you speak to one another. And then in the middle of the tower, there's the, the command of the people, come, let us construct something. And then a little bit later, the Lord says, come, let us confuse them. Let us make for ourselves And then the children of man built something that the Lord looks at. There's a city and tower in verse 4, and it's repeated in verse 5. At the top of the tower is the point of the passage. What the Lord did when He came down to see their tower. The Lord has put together the words of our passage and built it up like a tower to make this point. That the Lord tears down the plans of the proud. The gospel truth, Genesis 11, 1-9, is the Lord tears down the plans of the proud. And here's a message for us all, with all of our planning. The, the passage really is divided into these two sections that center around the command of the people, the collaboration of the people, and the command of God, the collaboration of the triune God. First of all, we see in verses 1 through 4, the command and collaboration of the people. They say, come, let us construct. Come, let us construct. Look in verses 1 and 2, how all the earth, it says, has one, literally lip, has one lip and one land. We're told that the earth is then, at that point, made up of one people who have one language. Now, if we just go up two verses, we'll be a little bit confused. Look in chapter 10, verse 31. Look how there are many languages in verse 31, and many nations in verse 31. And they were spread out in verse 32 across the whole earth after the flood. We shouldn't be confused. The only reason we would be confused if we think, is if we think Genesis 10 and 11 are ordered by time rather than by topic. In fact, Genesis 11 happens before Genesis 10, and Moses wanted the topic of Genesis 10 to come before the topic of Genesis 11. Genesis 10 says, where did the nations come from? It gives the answer that it all comes from Noah's sons. And then in our passage, we are asking the question, how is it that one people became many nations? And the answer that is given to us comes in the form of another question, and it is, what did they do with their one lip? When they had one language, how did they use their words? Come, let us construct. The whole earth agrees 
to one will and one worry. The whole earth agrees to one will and one worry. And if I can just stay in this architecture uh, kind of imagery, there is a blueprint of the human will that we see in our passage in verses 3 and 4. And on the blueprint of the human will, there are three stories of this tower and one foundation. First thing we learn about the human will is that it is ambitious. Beloved, know this about your hearts. This is in your heart. Is a will to be ambitious. Humans want to accomplish something great. We all want to do something with our lives. I'm convinced that that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God who created things. We want to do something great. And verse 3 doesn't look all that great. This is a very humble starting project in verse 3. They say, come, let us make bricks. But notice how their achievement of that plan leads to progress in their ambition. Verse 4, with these bricks now. Let us make a great city that has a great tower in it. The human will is ambitious. But the human will is also arrogant. That ambition is ultimately to make a name. Notice who they want to make a name for. They want to make a name not for God. Their ambition is arrogant. They want to make a name for themselves. You're ambitious. There's a sense in which all of us could put ourselves into this chapter and say we are all trying to to work and spend our labors to build some ambitious tower. It's wise for you to know what you're working for. Maybe it's so that you would be treated by your family a certain way. That's what your life, is, life ambition is, so that they will treat you a certain way. Maybe it's so that your community will think of you a certain way. Maybe you want a certain kind of job so that, so that people will think a certain kind of thing about you. You need to learn from the Tower of Babel that even good desires, this good desire of, I want to use my life for something great, that can be tainted with pride. The heart of Babel fills our country. The heart that we see in Genesis 11 is what we breathe in every day in this country. Do something. Make something of yourself. Don't waste your life. Do something great. If we make a great tower, what we will really be doing is making a great name for ourselves. That's really what they're building. Babel is a building of popularity and a building of prosperity for humans. The human will is ambitious. The human will is arrogant. And humans, thirdly, will apostasy. That's a theological term, apostasy. That just sounded good because it started with an A. But let me just define it for you. Apostasy means turning away from the Lord. That's ultimately what the humans 
will to do. That's where this, this tower is building up to a turning away from the Lord. The biggest problem in our passage is hinted at in the first two verses. Did you catch this? Listen to the words. The whole earth settled in one place. Do you see the problem? This really is a fitting conclusion to this series in Genesis 1 through 11, because Genesis 11 is showing us how far humanity has come since Genesis 1. Really, Genesis 11 is just showing us as clear as possible in this great tower how far it is humanity has gone from God's ambition in Genesis 1. Look back in Genesis 1, 28. Flip back there and hear at the very beginning of our series, what is God's ambition for humanity? He makes men and women in his image for this blessed purpose. And notice it is not that they would settle in, but it's that they would spread out. He commands them to fill the earth, not stay in one place, but to fill the earth so that as they worship the Lord and show the earth what the Lord is like, He will then fill the whole earth with His worship. They have abandoned God's ambition to pursue their ambition. That's what's going on in the Tower of Babel. God had one plan, they built another. It's to build their name rather than to spread out and spread God's name. This is the problem with Babel. In Shinar, where they're gathered, there is this congregation of the conceited. That's what we're looking at, a congregation of the conceited. What we're having a picture painted for us is of culture. This is what culture is. Culture is made up of conceited co-conspirators. That's what culture is. This is what God says to the world. In Revelation 18, whenever God comments on what happened in Genesis 11, He says, what you built high as the heaven was not a tower. Your sins are the only things that has reached as high as heaven. You have turned away from Me in this great project of yourself, and this is the great project of the world. The world is a congregation of people who are collaborating together and trying to encourage one another to disobey God. That is the world. This is why we pray for churches every Sunday. Because churches are in that world. And we are to be very different from the world. We are congregations, Lord willing, of the humble, who are trying to make a name for Jesus, not for ourselves. And that means we have to deny the ambitions of the world. Ambitious will, arrogant will, a a will to... Leave the Lord. It all has one foundation. And notice this in verse 4. The one foundation for the human will that they can agree upon is anxiety. What is driving them to be arrogant and ambitious and to leave the Lord is their fear. Let us do this. What does it say in verse 4? Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Can we just come together? So that we don't have to spread out. We'll build a big enough and great enough city that everyone wants to stay. And we can make a great name for ourselves. 
The greatest fear of all the earth, beloved, the greatest fear of the world is to obey God. Do you see that? They don't want to be dispersed. That's exactly what God commanded them to do. They are afraid of obeying God. And so they hatch this plan to rebel. Now, what is that telling us about our fears? Why would you fear what God commands? Why do we so easily resist the clear words of Scripture? He says to do this, and we're so afraid of doing that. Why is that? Because our hearts don't believe Him. They don't believe Him. They don't believe when He says, this is what's best for you. They don't even believe that's even good. We can't do that. Let's do something else. Beloved, watch what you do whenever you're afraid. Because your fear will show you what your, your pride. Your fear will show you your pride. What you are afraid of tells you who you think God is. I want you to think about it. You think of your fears and that will tell you who you think God is. And it will also tell you exactly how you do not trust Him. You do not trust Him to do what's best. Worry always blocks worship because trust is the purest form of worship. Worry always blocks worship because trust is the purest form of worship. What God wants most is for people to treat Him like He's God. To trust His ways, not our own. To trust His strength is sufficient, not our own. And so worry is the opposite of trust They are not worshiping when they do this. The Lord tears down the plans of all who turn away from him. The second section is in verses 5 through 9 where we hear the Lord's command and the Lord's collaboration. He says, come, let us confuse. Come, let us confuse since they are constructing. As I was reading this, I was reminding of my grand plans. I've always had them. And I'll give you just one example. One night, um, me and my cousins were really close-knit growing up, and, and there was one night where we all came together in one place, my house, where all the cousins were going to have a sleepover. We're trying to figure out how to use the best time, and we all came to one plan. And our plan was to start a comic book. I had never written or read a, a comic book. I think a couple of the cousins had. We were going to start a comic book that was going to make us millionaires. And we were trying to figure out um, what we were going to do about school. We decided just briefly, we'll worry about that later, but we probably won't have time for school anymore because we're going to be amazing. And we figured we had every resource in front of us. So we divided up the cousins into people who could draw and people who could write. None of us could draw. None of us could write. But we sat at different tables. And I don't even think we talked about what the comic book would be about. So people were drawing things and people were writing things that had nothing to do with each other. And the next thing I remember is I woke up and I was surrounded by stuffed animals. Here's my point. We stayed up till like two in the morning plotting to make our names great. And then eventually we fell asleep. And once I fell asleep, they picked up a new plan. They're going to make fun of Ryan. (laughs) And so they got all the stuffed animals in all the house and surrounded me by it so that when I woke up, I'd be, I don't know, embarrassed or something. We switched our idea so very quickly. Verse 5. 
Remember, this is the top of the tower of Genesis 11. In verse 5, the Lord sees a toy tower in a child's city. The Lord sees a toy tower in a child's city. Whenever we're discouraged, we remember Mama's words. Sweetheart, if you just put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. All the minds in all the earth are put to something. They're put to a great tower in this great city. And that tower is so high that the Lord has to bend down to see it. You get it? He can't even see it. Now, this is poetic language when it says, let us come down so that we can see what the little children have been doing. Of course, the Lord sees it. What it's saying is that he's coming to inspect it. It's, what it's saying is, the Lord is saying, well, let's, let's evaluate the quality of this. What have they really accomplished? And you know this, that great buildings are evaluated according to how great is the penthouse. Where is the penthouse of the great tower? Way down there. We were made to do great things. There's something really good about ambition. You were made to do great things. And a lot of great sounding plans are tiny. The world says they're great and God looks at it and says, look how tiny that ambition is. Listen, if your life's ambition, listen to me, Maybe, maybe outside of, or inside of this congregation and, and, and around people, you're, you're savvy enough not to actually say this. But if this is what your life's work is, if your life's work is to make a better life for your children than you had, that's your life's work. If your life's work is to build a business that will help a lot of people, if your life's work, when you get down to it, what you're spending your energies and your prayers for is what you long for the most is to have a close family. If you go for those things, you have to abandon God's plans. You have to tear down God's priorities for your life. If that is your tower, you will set yourself against the Lord. Friends, we are not the world. Our plans and our schemes are not the same as the world's. A Christian's highest labor cannot be the same as our unbelieving family and friends. There are ambitions for a Christian that are unworthy. We are those who, for whom the world is unworthy. There are insufficient goals for your life. Even if you say, I'm going to do this kind of thing for my family, I'm going to do this kind of business all for the Lord. Well, they said that. They said that. The word Babel in their language means gate to God. That's what they said. That's what they tell themselves they're trying to do. 
it says, right? The tower will be, will be into the heavens. But here's, the, here's the ad campaign. Come to Babel to worship God. We've got a tower in the heavens. Come here if you want to meet Him. God sees right past all their ad campaigns, all their words, and He tears down their proud plans because their plans deny Him. It doesn't matter that we baptize our plans with language about how it's all for God. What is it really? And if your ambition, here's the test, if your ambition keeps you like it kept them from what God has said is His agenda, then those plans are too small and they're coming down. Verses 6 through 9, the Lord punishes pride. And here I see a glimmer of hope and the reason why. The Lord punishes pride to prevent pride. He punishes pride because everything He does is good, even His judgment has good aims to prevent them from further pride. A few weeks ago, you guys were praying for me and Brad. We went to Charleston. And we were there to encourage other pastors and, and preaching the word. And we had the pleasure of meeting a guy named Benji. Benji, I think is from Florida, ministers in Florida. And he had the thickest southern accent that I've ever heard. I loved I love accents. And um, I thought he had the thickest accent that I had ever heard until we went to dinner the next night and I met Shane, who worked at this restaurant. And I was just amazed and I was thrilled because Benji was sitting across from me at the, at the table and then Shane was working at the restaurant and he was coming up and, and, and he was trying to help the table. And Benji, we're, we're there because in, in Charleston, they're known for seafood, and this is a seafood restaurant, and so, and I ordered the chicken. That's just, I, I don't do it. But Benji wanted to know about the fish, and so he asks Shane, what do you recommend? And I'm, I'm just listening, and I know that these guys have the same language. And Shane says, rat there, rat there. Now, I'm a student of languages, and so I understood that rat meant right Rat there. Benji, who speaks the same language as Shane, said, Rat! Because his plan, he was trying to get uh, Shane to go in with him on finding the best fish. He wasn't expecting to hear about rat. But whenever Benji said, Rat, Shane heard his own language and said, Yeah, that rat there. Well, that plan didn't last very long, Uh, Benji got up and moved to a different table, I guess, so that Shane could not advise him any longer. Plots cannot prosper if you cannot understand your co-conspirators. Plots cannot prosper if you cannot understand your co-conspirators. Verse 6, the Lord sees the potential of humanity when they are plotting together. And in order to guard them from greater rebellion, he cuts the cords of their conspiracy. He makes sure that they cannot conspire to a certain degree, basically against him. And verse 7, he confuses their language. And so that they are now trying to 
listen for people who they can understand. And then they start huddling together in groups of, of what would become nations. And they separate from one another. Verse 8. Nations exist not because there are certain kinds of people who agree upon food together. Or there's just beach people and then, then other people are mountain people. And some people, I guess, are tumbleweed people. That's the lot we got. Uh, That's not why different groups of people are in different kinds of places. God says that nations are there to limit the progress of sinful pride. That's why nations exist. It's God's mercy to limit pride from just growing and growing and growing. Verse 9, the Lord speaks into Babylon history. So the children of Babylon would have gone to their history 101 of their country and they would have read in their books that this is what the great city is. It's the gate to God. And the Lord says, no, that's not why we call it Babel. Here is the truth. The reason your great city is Babel is because I made them Babel. I made them Babel. I confuse their language so much that the foreman's instructions sounded like gibberish to all the workers and they could no longer keep rebelling together against me. Babel is a word that sounds like the word confuse in verse 9. That word confuse, literally, it's a very... Um, it's a very image-driven word. It means whisk, like you would whisk scrambled eggs together with a whisk, right? They said, this is what's going on. They said in verse 3, and Kayla, can you put up that, that next picture? They said in verse 3, come, let us make brisks, uh, uh, bricks. And then God says in verse 7, Come, let us, but then he whisks together the letters, L-B-N, which are the letters that make the word bricks, and he mixes them together, whisks them together, and puts the N on the opposite side, B stays there, and the L comes at the end, so that he takes the letters and he confuses them together, and he takes their plan to make bricks, and he confuses their plan. And and this is the point. What comes of their proud planning to make themselves a great name by making a great city so that they would not be dispersed. What ends up happening is the Lord scrambles together their plan by scrambling their language. In verse 9, their worst fears are realized. They're sent out. The great city went the way of my great comic book. Look at the end of verse 8, right? They just left off. They just left off building. They did not get very far. The Lord is committed to make sure that every vain plot ends in vain. You can live on this truth. The Lord is absolutely committed to make sure every vain plot, every plot and plan that we have that's actually about us, He's going to make it end in vain. Meaning, it will be vanity. It will be like a grasping at the wind. It will not come together. It is when the Lord gives you what you want in rebellion to Him that you know you're really ruined. So Christian, there are a couple things we learn about our ambitions. 
Whenever we're saying, come, let us do this, or I am going to do this, James says that we should always say, if the Lord wills. Look, they willed to stay, the Lord willed that they would spread out and not stay, and in the, in the end, the Lord always will get His way. In the end, it will be pointless for you to fight against the Lord. He will get His way. So constantly yield your ambitions to Him, even when, it's, when you're verbalizing it in your prayers and in your heart. And then, beloved, whenever He tears down the fair designs you've schemed, Love that phrase from a, a song. He will tear down the fair designs you schemed. All your schemes that sounded so great, He's going to tear them down. If they will keep you from them, from Him. When He tears down your fair designs, know that those fair designs would have been your downfall. And the Lord has been gracious to tear them down. So just start praying right now. Lord, tear down every rebellion in my heart. Tear it down. Make sure, Lord, that there is no progress in my life that will provoke me to further proud living without You. The Lord tears down the plans of the proud. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Turn to the right into the New Testament, page 912 in the Bibles provided. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. And understand that Genesis 11 would have come to the nation of Israel when Moses was also telling them, look, don't be proud. When you get into the promised land, if you are proud and you go the way of the world and you forget God, I will send you to the world. I will disperse you like I did the people at Babel. I will send you out. And here will be a sign of my judgment. You will be scared because you will be hearing your enemies with all the swords speaking in a language you do not understand. And while they were sitting in exile, they were also singing. They were singing a song that said, Why do the nations plot in vain and the peoples plot against the Lord and His anointed? Why do they do this? In Acts chapter 4, Peter and the apostles are preaching and they tell us why. They tell us when the peoples were plotting in vain. Chapter 4, verse 24, the disciples raise their voices together. They all come together with one voice to God and they pray to the Lord. And they pray out of that psalm too. Why do the nations that were created in Genesis 11 rage against you? And they're making this plot that is vain. They're setting themselves up against you and your Messiah. And then the disciples say in verse 27, when they did that is when Rome got together with your own people. They were plotting in vain to destroy your Messiah, Jesus on the cross. And God used it to fulfill His own plan. This is the one message of the Gospel that the disciples in the book of Acts just keep on preaching. It happened in the reversal of the Tower of Babel back in chapter 2 when when 
the divided tongues came upon the uh, Peter and the disciples. They were preaching the gospel and everyone heard the gospel in their own tongue, in their own language. This is the message we preach at this church every single week. The nations killed Jesus on the cross, but God came behind them and he scrambled their plan to fit his own plan. And God raised his sinless son from the dead for the purpose of forgiving every single person who confesses their proud plans to make a name for themselves and call out to the Lord Jesus to save them. Listen, church, has any one of you vacationed in Babylon lately? No one goes to Babylon. Where is Pharaoh? Where is Rome? Where is Hitler and his great Berlin? Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. The Lord tore it down. And listen, friends, if he is not the capital of your life, really. If the Lord is not really the capital of your life, he's coming down and he's going to knock you down. All your efforts to have a great life will come down. But if you realize that you have wasted your life in pride, then you can remember who built Babel. Genesis 10 said that Nimrod built Babel. He came from the people of Cush. And Lee just read to us that the Lord says, I'm going to come and I'm going to judge all the people and then I'm going to purify their speech so that with one voice they will call out for salvation to me, and then they will serve me even to the rivers of Cush. The Lord promised even to save the very people who built Babel. Jesus came down. And He came down to lift up the lowly. Friends, There are gates to God that are really just halls to hell. There's only one gate to God, and it's Jesus. And if you would trust in Him, He will bring you to the Lord. There is another undoing of the Tower of Babel for the church. You need to know, as a Christian, there is a unity that God is going to tear down. And there's a unity that He is behind. In Christ, He calls us together to undo the very sin of Babel. Jesus gives a great commission. And His great commission, if you think about it, is really just a mission of sending out people to spread throughout the whole world, ultimately to build up His name. To teach people to obey everything that Jesus commands by speaking about Jesus. He's given us one lip, the one gospel, should be what our words are spent in building up. This is the ambition that your life should be spent toward. This is what the Lord will prosper. This is the plan that is great enough to devote your whole life to. One language, the gospel, Speaking about Jesus in our church, in our homes, across our streets, always using our words for the gospel. It should be clear 
at your workplace or wherever it is you spend the majority of your hours during the week, whether that's in the home or in the office, it should be absolutely clear that your greatest ambition is not what the world's ambition is. You're not chasing a kind of worldly greatness. You're not collaborating with other rebels. How can we make our names great? It should be absolutely clear, every one of you who, who names the name of Christ, that your life is for Jesus. And it should be clear in our homes when we talk to our spouse and our kids or our parents. We're not mainly, listen to me, your job in your family is not mainly to encourage your family members to live a healthy life or a secure life. Your job as parents is not mainly to make your kids ace the test the next morning. Don't spend your words just doing that. Don't try to just build into your kid good habits so they're productive members of this worldly, rebellious society. Don't choose to do that while leaving the Bible closed and your mouth closed in prayer and in singing. The main thing we should be doing is every day talking about Jesus and His ambition To spread His name. He has spread us out. And we're spread out to this nation and the people of Graham primarily to make a name for Him. And none of our words will be in vain when we do that. The Lord tears down the plans of the proud. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that You would make us a church who makes a name for Jesus. Only one life you've given, it soon will pass. Only what is done for Christ will last. Oh God, guard us from proud plans that you will break down. And make us devote ourselves to lifting up the name that ultimately is our joy. And bear much fruit in spreading the fame, not of us, but of your son. And we ask this in his name. Amen.